So I wonder, uh, as we begin to uh, talk this evening, what values do you live for? What values do you live for? Uh, it's, it's been really interesting, actually, going into one of the local schools um, here. We do a philosophy club there. And one week, we did the purpose of life. Or rather, I asked the question, what is the purpose of life? And interestingly enough, a 14-year-old girl said this, the purpose of life is to get power. I thought, I thought wow, she's 14. Uh, so she said, every friendship we have is about making your friends do things for you. You have power over them. And I just thought, I hope that none of your friends are here today, because um, that's going to change your friendship a little bit. But it's interesting, in the ancient world, in Jesus' day, that was one of the things that people lived for, power. Another thing that people lived for that we'll talk about tonight is truth. So power and truth. Uh, and we're going to talk about when Jesus meets Pilate, what does Pilate think truth is all about and power is all about? How does it contrast with Jesus? We're going to talk about why it's so hard sometimes for us to live by the same values of power and truth in the eyes of Jesus. So we're going to uh, dig in and I'm going to try and convince you that God has power so we can rest in him. That when we ask who has truth, we say Jesus is the truth. So we listen to him. You're going to have to help me out. Is it selected? There we go. So at this point in John's gospel, we are coming to the end of Jesus's ministry on earth. Um, at this point, he has been persecuted. He's been wrongly arrested. He has been punched. He's been chained up, harassed, seemingly helpless, with no way of getting out of this plot uh, by the religious leaders who have wanted to kill him since he claimed to be God. We've seen so many things in John's gospel at this point about what it means that Jesus is a divine person. And in our series, Encounters with Jesus, we've seen a few things uh, about Jesus. Uh, the first time we uh, sat down together to talk about this series, Encounters with Jesus, you might remember Simon and the nameless sinful woman. She was known by her lifestyle. There we learned that even this woman, even someone who is known by the wrong things that they have done, can find forgiveness if only they admit how messed up they are before this loving Jesus. We talked about Nicodemus. Jesus met this religious leader. And that encounter reminded us that this king wants to give his subjects not just rules for them to pretend that they are better than they are, but a changed heart, a new birth. We also met a rich young man, didn't we? We talked about how when we see ourselves rightly as sinners who need forgiveness, we are called to give up anything so that God will be first in our lives. We learned that actually the people sitting next to you, uh, if they are uh, believers in Jesus, are part of your reward um, for right now and in the future eternal life. So that's our little recap because this is our last one in the series Encounters with Jesus. Of course, I hear you go, Oh, but I'm not going away. But let's talk about tonight then. 
How do we see these two values of power and truth in tonight's encounter with Jesus? So God has power. We will rest in him is our first um, slide. I'll rely on you, uh, Dickie. Where does power come from as we think about it? When we think of power, we normally think of our ability to influence other people, right? So normally we say maybe someone is powerful if they have a certain rank or title or position. For example, someone with a higher rank in the army, uh, you know, they are saluted, they are respected by the underlings. My boss, who has, you know, a little bit more power over me, can, can tell me what tasks I should be getting on with week in and week out. Maybe we would say that uh, power comes from having money, you know, power to do things, to buy people out, or reality I know very well, uh, coming from Brazil. Maybe power can come from persuasive speech, the power to command minds, maybe to radicalize other people or to manipulate other people. But Jesus is going to show us, uh, as we look at this passage, that when we think we have power, we've forgotten the one who truly does. Is uh, our character tonight powerful? Pilate, does he have real power? Let's have a look at him. I don't know what you know about Pontius Pilate, but apparently he was born somewhere in Spain. Apparently he got the job that he had at the time of Jesus by marrying up. He married this lady called Claudia Procula, and she was the granddaughter of Emperor Augustus. It was one way to marry up. He was a bit of an opportunist, um, even down to the person he married, uh, History says she was a little bit, um, little bit, little bit off uh, in her lifestyle, apparently. Uh, he was then the governor of Judea. Wasn't such a nice guy. He was a bit brutal. Um, when his administration in Judea started, uh, there were protests because he angered the Jews uh, by carrying banners with uh, the image of the emperor into the uh, temple area. And he dealt with the protests by sending in um, soldiers disguised uh, as commoners to just stab people to death. So maybe he's not such a nice guy. Rome wasn't potentially happy either with this guy, Pilate. So he seems to have power, but he has to toe the line a little bit. That's who he is. What about what he has power to do? If you have your Bibles open in front of you, Beginning at verse 28, what does Pilate have power to do? He has power to govern. He's above the Jews. Verse 29, he has power to decide who is innocent or guilty. Verse 31, and uh, chapter 19, verse 10, he has power to take life or to let people live. Verse 39, he has power to punish and to set free. He certainly speaks like someone who has power. Even the place where we find him in John chapter 18, we find him in a palace. That's a powerful man. When he speaks to the Jews, what charges have you got against this man? He speaks like a judge. Not only that, but Pilate's whole life has just been one of ascending to higher and better uh, positions of power. When we meet powerful people like this, how do we feel? We're often scared, aren't we, when we encounter powerful people. You know, every time I come back into the country and I have to go uh, and see a border agency officer, my knees tremble a little bit. Not because I'm illegal here, 
When you're in a plane, you see the little blue landing card, okay? If you're not British, that's, you know, uh, what you have to give to that person over there. You have to write down where you're flying from, uh, what your UK address is, how long you uh, hope to stay, okay? But even though I know I have the legal right to abide in this country, I'm scared of the fact that they have enough power to just because they're having a bad day, separate me from my wife, put me in another room where I can be interrogated for no reason whatsoever. So their power and the fact that it could be used against me terrifies me. We're all a bit like that, scared of someone with power over us, what they could do to us if we don't comply. But here's the question. Why isn't Jesus scared of Pilate? I think it's for the same reason that certain children aren't scared of a teacher's threat. When they know the source of the teacher's power and the limits, I think it can radically change how they view their place in the classroom. Have you, have you had that person in your class who would just say, I can do whatever I want? Have you had that? Yeah? Some head nods? Perhaps some of you are teachers, you know this reality all too well. Because they know what power people have to punish or to not punish them. How very different uh, it was for me growing up when my parents had power over me. The look was enough for me. Some of you are nodding, as if you really know. And the look was enough because I know that the belt would follow an unsuccessful look. Jesus knows what's going to follow Pilate's questioning, doesn't he? A real Roman whip with lacerating bones at the end of it followed by a real Roman cross where you might hang bleeding for days. It just makes me want to ask, why in the world isn't Jesus cowering before Pilate's power? But Jesus knows something, doesn't he, that extinguishes his fear. In John's Gospel, we've seen that he knows how to prevent death. He's healed countless people from deadly diseases. He knows how to reverse death. He's shown that he has the power to bring people who are dead back to life. We see that he even has the power to return from death, because that's what he said he will do. Therefore, he can speak uh, these words in Luke that are going to appear on the screen. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body, and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. How do you threaten somebody like that? Somebody who knows the keys to death and who knows the one who's going to let him out. You know, if anybody bigger than me threatened me in school, I knew that I should be scared unless one of my big brothers was there. For that same reason, we learned that God has power so we can rest in him. If you are a Christian, if you trust in Jesus... When we think that we have power or we fear those who wield power over us, often we've forgotten the one who has it. And when we remember it like Jesus, we can say, I'm going to rest. He is in control. So Peter, uh, Pilate's words then in uh, chapter 19, verse 10, look at them. Don't they fall flat when you know what Jesus knows? He says, don't you realize I have power either to crucify you or to set you free? And the words just sort of lose their effect, because Jesus knows this too is part of God's plan. 
He can rest that even at this point, God is reigning on his throne even now. And were it not for God's sovereign plan, Pilate would have no ability to even touch him. Do you remember Jesus' words in Matthew 26? They're going to appear on the screen as well. Peter is worried for Jesus. Jesus isn't worried. Jesus says, Do you think I cannot call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? What about us? If you're a Christian tonight, do we think we see the world in the same way as Jesus saw God reigning, ruling, in control? It isn't just about me, my life, or you and your life. It's about whether we see this sovereign God and his sovereign plans for the world and how we fit into his plans. Here's what I mean. Lucy is in year 13, okay? She's been working very hard. Um, in, on her A-levels, she's finished them last term. Uh, she very excitedly went to get her results. And despite her hard work, she it was nowhere near what she needed for her university choices. She feels like life is out of control. Ryan has jumped through every hoop at his workplace because he was promised a promotion if only he did X, Y, Z. And in six months, we could look at it. Sadly, instead, his company shares went down and he was let go. He feels completely lost at sea. What have Ryan and Lucy been reminded of there and then? That they are not in control of their lives. Though it seems like it from time to time, doesn't it? Remember what we said before, whoever thinks they're in control, they've forgotten the one who truly is. We live our lives by planning uh, carefully and behaving and working as if we can control the outcomes of every situation. Often we give God's word very little thought. And like we heard this morning, if you were here this morning in the book of James, uh, we don't even think to say, if it's God's will, then this will happen. We do that because life is like that sometimes. We work hard, we get rewarded. We feel like we have the ability to control our success. We forget that anything is only ever accomplished because God ultimately allows it and it brings him glory. And on the other hand, when things go wrong, our kind of illusion of control cracks, doesn't it? This Jesus was able to rest in the face of extreme suffering and difficulty, and so did the apostles because he had such a high view of what it means that God is in control. Lucy can say, look, perhaps God has a bigger plan for the world than for little old me to become a Nobel Prize winner. I will think more than just about myself, as Jesus did here when he thought about the salvation of the world and not just his well-being. I'll remind myself, she can say, that I can rest in the fact that God has thought about this that just happened in his master plan. I know enough about his character that I can trust him. Ryan can say, I am sorry, God, that I ever thought I was the one in control of my life. Help me to think through my career in a way that honors you. If it, if it honors you, that I can trust you while I get promoted, praise your name. But if it pleases you 
to teach me what it means to rest in your powerful plan by allowing me to be let go. So be it. Will you help me? But Pilate continued to reject the one who truly has power. And where did his rejection of Jesus lead him? Look at chapter 19, verse 8. Why was he afraid? Because despite trying to say, I find no charges that are reasonable for punishing this man, he was tied to pleasing Caesar. Caesar had declared himself at the time to be a son of God. There can't be two, can there? So if Jesus is saying, I am the son of God, that's a threat that Rome and Pilate as its representative can't ignore. Because verse 12, how is it going to sound when Caesar hears that there was a man claiming to be a divine son, to be king, and you, Pilate, let him go? Flashes go through Pilate's mind, you can imagine here with me. Every time an empress just suspected someone of treason, how many people were killed for less than a suspicion? I don't know if you know this, but sometimes if the emperor was displeased with you, he would simply say, you need to commit suicide to spare your soldiers. Otherwise, I will come in and do it for you. It just makes me think, wow, ends up that seeking power and influence without God leads to a lot of fear and uncertainty, doesn't it? For those who see power like Pilate sees it, something to be had without thought for God, aren't they in the same position, just ultimately cornered into pleasing people who will give them power or sacrificing their peace of mind or some other unrewarding compromise? There is so much that Pilate had given up for power and influence, and yet all he had to show for himself was fear. Fear that a revolt might happen under his reign. Fear that Caesar might be displeased with him. And did you know, I believe fear is actually meant to speak to us. It shouts truths about ourselves, what we are holding dear, and whether it really pays off or not. But is fear going to drive Pilate to Jesus? Or is fear going to drive him further and further into not believing in him? Think now, just for a moment, of all the things that you and I, other people we know, give up in order to have more power, more influence. Is the reward worth it when someone works crazy hours for a promotion but never sees their family? Is it worth it when you lose friends and reject friends in school or in your workplace in order to be with the more upmarket circle of friends? Does that kind of power and influence look better and more beautiful than this calm trust that we see in Jesus here? Is it more beautiful? Isn't it more beautiful to trust in God's power in the face of difficulty? I guess what I'm saying with this partly is, if you are not yet a Christian and you're listening to this tonight, do you see this beautiful life lived out of Jesus that isn't afraid to face difficulty because he knows the one who's in control? Does that make you want to be a follower of Jesus? If you are a Christian, perhaps have we forgotten tonight what it means to rest in God's power? Are there things happening right now in your life, in my life, that are reminding us we're not in control, but that we don't need to be because we can rest 
in the same God that Jesus rested in. But that's our first point for tonight. God has power, so we rest in him. But I did also say that Jesus is the truth. We find that in the conversation with Pilate, so we listen to him. We are a people who think a lot about truth, aren't we? There's a picture coming up on the screen. This child's uh, parents care about the truth, don't they? They want to know what happened. Why is my other child's face completely graffitied? This wife wants to know the truth when she says to her husband, does my bum look big in this? So we think about truth, even in our daily relationships. This example, the second example, shows us that truths have power to hurt. And that there are certain truths we want to avoid because they will cost us husbands, particularly. Pilate would have known that. He had a lot to lose if he believed in Jesus, didn't he? Is that why he walks out on Jesus? Because so far we've learned that Jesus is the kind of king that is ultimately powerful, a real power that brings real rest in him. But in his encounter with Pilate, we also learn something else about King Jesus in chapter 18, verse 37. Can you see it there? He is the truth destination that every truth is a road to. He says he came to testify to the truth, showing up every lie to be a dead end, a nowhere road. He also does something else. By being the truth, Jesus splits those who are sincere from those who are insincere. Those pictures can come up now on the next slide. Jesus is saying if someone is sincerely seeking the truth, what are they going to do in the end? They're going to end up believing in him. Have you ever met somebody who said one of these two things? Somebody can be true for you, not true for me. Truth is relative. It changes from person to person. Have you ever met anybody who would say that? Have you also heard people say things like this? Here's what's going to make the world a better place. Education. If people are informed, they will know true and useful things about the world, and the world will be just fine. I think the things that we believe about truth often are contradictory, or at the very least, they're a little bit inconsistent. But there's one thing that we hardly ever talk about and that we realize about truth, but that we see in Jesus' conversation with Pilate. Truth isn't just about facts and figures, is it? It seems to be in this conversation about an attitude of the heart. Just like the spouse who asks, do I look good in this? We don't always want the truth. Because the truth might be different to what we expect to hear. So we want to reject it. At Bible college, um, I shared a bedroom with about five other guys in uh, three bunk beds. It was, it was tight. One of them, um, I discovered one term, was an extremely loud snorer. I am a very light sleeper, so I would wake up in the night, um, first night. I diplomatically threw a sock at him, sort of did this, you know, came back to sleep. He was understandably upset. Another night, I actually found that I needed to record his snoring. 
So I waited until the next day he woke up and I played him the recording. I said, mate, here it is, look. Do you know what he said? That's not me. <laughs> You're pulling my leg. Truth was too hard for him to handle. But on a more serious note, the thing is here, whether we believe uh, the truth is about more than facts. I showed my friend the facts. He wasn't having it. It was about his heart. I can't possibly be someone who disturbs someone else. Isn't that why Paul says in Romans 1, for example, that many people suppress the truth? They know something of God, but they would rather walk away. What they have to lose is too precious. Pilate here is confronted with the truth about Jesus Christ. His job is meant to be the truth finder. But he doesn't care. All he cares about is, are you a threat to Rome? You've just told me that you are not the sort of king that wants to kill other people and overthrow me. I'm satisfied that you're innocent. But the truth isn't enough, is it? Chapter 18, verse 37, Jesus says, I came to tell you all the truth. The truth about ourselves and the world. That we're not as good as we think we are. That we need forgiveness because we've, been, we've become enemies of God through our lifestyle. That our crime against God is so serious that the only fitting punishment is for us to be eternally banished from his presence. Jesus has told us up to this point in the Gospel of John the truth about God. That he's just and forgiving. That he will punish our rebellion against him. But he's had mercy in sending his son to die. A death for those who will believe. That if we believe in him, we can have a fresh start and enjoy knowing God now and forever. We don't know how much Pilate knew about all that I've just said that we see in the Gospels. We know that probably he had a network of spies that would hear a little bit about Jesus. But the question is, how much does he want to know about this unique man that even in the face of death isn't even wanting to kill the people who want to kill him? The answer is he doesn't want to know at all. You came to testify about the truth? What is truth? He says. And he walks out. What difference does it actually make if Jesus is who he says he is or not? Many of our friends, uh, don't they play fast and loose with the truth about God? They don't even know why it matters. Why you believe in God or not? I find that this question is really, really helpful, and I wonder what you would say if you're a Christian here tonight. If somebody asked you, what difference does it actually make if Jesus is who he says he is or not? Because if it's just a matter of my religion versus your religion, or your atheism, or my preference against your preference, then telling people about Jesus really does seem silly, doesn't it? If it's just about that. But what if it's about more than that? What if it's about people's eternal joy that's at stake? What if it's the case that some of our friends need to realize that they are living substandard lives, condemned to seek what they will never find unless they seek it in Jesus? You see, if people think that when we talk about Jesus, it's just sort of religious talk, then it's a little bit like this. Is it just like a flavor of ice cream that we would just say, look, you believe in Jesus, I believe in Buddha. It's just, you know, 
It's just a matter of preference. But what if the truth about Jesus is a little bit more like a danger sign where some people would say, actually, that's quite safe. That's how I interpret that sign. It's quite safe. I can go there. That skull just means we'll have a great time. And you want to say, no, it's dangerous to not know your heavenly creator. It's dangerous to live a life without the joy of being forgiven by him and to face him in eternity. Listening to Jesus is a lot less like changing your opinion and a lot more like listening to the voice of truth that says, every time you discover that this life isn't all it's cracked up to be, and you ask, is there more to life than this? Listen to the voice of truth that leads you to say, Jesus is the one that gives life in abundance, life to the full. Every time you're faced with your frail body that just isn't doing what it's supposed to do, remind yourself this discontent fuels our longing for an eternity with the joyful God. If you ask the hard questions, they will lead you to Jesus. Every time a young person is anxious about their academic future, about uh, perhaps how to cope with singleness or some other reason, ask the hard questions. What does the Bible have to say about this, about my anxiety, about my struggle to trust in Jesus? Because this is what you do when you ask the question. Stay. Stay for the answer. You hang around. When you do that, you will see that the Son of God gives you better answers than any other competitors out there, any other religions of systems of thought. Because those who are on the side of truth, listen to me, says Jesus. Will we? Will you? Pilate didn't. He asked the question and he left. How amazingly, I guess, disheartening sometimes. Someone can meet Jesus himself and walk away unchanged. I pray that that wouldn't be you. But as we bring this to a close, um, maybe some of you have switched off because you think, well, I'm a Christian already. But if you are a Christian, aren't we supposed to continue to listen to the truth? You continue to have your heart reformed and changed. You continue to look into God's word daily on your own with others so that our love of God's truth shows when you're talking to other people about, say, doctrine, when we disagree on things like creation, evolution, or free will, does it show our love of truth? How about when we talk about why we do what we do in church? We don't just say, I do it my way and I've always done it this way, so don't question me. We say, I listen to the truth of God's word. Show me where it is in it. There is so much more that we could say. But let me pray for us as I hope that you will go away encouraged. God has power. We can rest in him when we're not in control. That Jesus is the truth, so it's delightful to be able to listen to him.